Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Okay, it only took us 381 episodes to make this happen, but finally, finally, our guest this week is Howard Jones. I mean, his name comes up all the time on this show, as you guys know. I am a huge fan, have been my entire life, just about. In fact, I was thinking the other day, uh, I, he and Neil Finn are the two people I've seen live the most. Um, probably nine or ten times each. That's a lot for me. I don't know if other people, you know, travel around with other bands. I, I've never done that, but I try to see them all the time. And as everyone knows, Howard is, of course, still huge in Utah. So we kick off the conversation talking about that. Why would that be? Now, he has a brand new album coming out next week, 9-9, called Dialogue. And it's the third album in a four-part series that he's been doing over the last few years. Now, we all know when you think of positivity and human connection and overcoming adversity and staying positive, those are all the hallmarks of Howard Jones's music. And that's really what these last four albums have been. There's Engage, Transform, Dialogue. He's got a new one coming out next year that he talks about in here. So we, I'm, I'm really fascinated with how does Howard Jones stay so positive all the time? A lot of that comes down to his Buddhism. Understandably, every time someone comes on here and they're a Buddhist, whether it's Rupert, Hein, or Duncan Sheik, or whatever, Carlos Alomar, I'm just fascinated with the kind of peace that they find from that, from that practice. I might have to look more into it. I always say that. Anyway, so we get into those things. We talk a lot about Live Aid, his experience at Live Aid, and uh, of course, just, you know, <laughs> why he's big in Utah. I also wanted to touch on some of his... Uh, I don't know, like lesser-known albums, lesser-known songs. He's such a singular artist. He seems to do whatever he wants to do, whatever he feels strongly about. And I'm always, cu- I was curious if, if that is viewed as not necessarily being successful. Does he do it again? Does that change his feelings? Anyway, I wanted to kick it off. This is what I think one of his great lost hits. It's really his last one, "Lift Me Up" off of the In the Running album. And at the end, we play another song of his that is from another album that was also one of the lesser-known hits. And between those two, I think we cover every album in some form or another in his uh, canon. So anyway, as you know, I love Howard more than just about anybody. I don't remember where he lives. I've seen pictures of his house and his home studio. And I could guess, but I would probably get it so wrong. It's somewhere in England. And I only got him for 45 minutes. I wish it had been longer than that, but whatever. I'm so grateful to have Howard on the show. So here's the deal. I, um, I've been trying to make this happen for about five years. And uh, because it's never been able to happen, I don't know why, I've been, I just talk about you with other people all the time. So like <laughs> Rupert, <laughs> Rupert Hines has been on here, Stephen Taylor, Neil Taylor, Andy Ross, Duncan Sheik, Every time these people who know you and work with you come on, I ask them questions about you because it's never worked out that I've been able to get you on here. So you are my golden goose. Thank you for doing this with me. Yes. So you know me vicariously. I do. Yeah. (laughs) I do. And to add to that, this will make a lot of sense to you. I'm from Salt Lake City. And uh, yes, I live in Denver now, but uh, I grew up in Salt Lake City. And as you know, you still pack pack them in in Salt Lake, and uh, yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. It's, tell me it's about like, it. It's like my American hometown, you know. Like <laughs> I do, you know, I sell out everything I do there, like huge venues and <laughs> do ten so nights, you know, in a row. And <laughs> it's, it's like, so true. I'm, I'm so, I, I think, oh, I, I feel so grateful actually. They're, yeah. So they've always been so kind to you. They jumped on my music right from the beginning. They did. They're still there, you know. And thank, thank, you know, thank you to them. Yes, Brilliant. I. Um, yeah, I mean, so I've been invested in Howard Jones for most of my life. You know, in fact, yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. it so well. I've seen you live more than just about anybody. And one of the times I, <laughs> I drove from Denver to Salt Lake to watch the first of the uh, Humans Lib and Dream into Action tours shows and i remember so yeah. well you kicked it up after you played the first song or two when you first addressed the crowd you said something to the effect of 
It's good to see you all again. It's been a while since we've been together. And, you know, all bands say that. It's good to be back in Denver. Or Hello, Denver, or whatever. <laughs> but when you said that, I know, I knew that you knew that there was a relationship there and yeah. that, you know, everyone is still working on and still, you know, a, a believing in. And uh, it's yeah. so, so true to me. When you said that, I knew that that meant something more than just something an artist would say from a stage. Yeah, I think I, I I definitely think that the people of of um, of Salt Lake sort of collectively got what I was about. You know, my my lyrics are the most important thing to me. You know, I love the music, of course, but the lyrics are the thing that gets past people's conscious defenses and gets right in. You know what I mean? And 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 one thing that highlighted this to me was that I was doing an interview that you've probably seen, and it was for. It was for the university in BYU. Um, yeah, the song that changed. I went to BYU, BYU so I remember that show. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and 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 they and they were wonderful. The only people I've let into my home actually too, because I like them so much. And they said, "Well, you know, we used to study your lyrics in English class." So I thought, "Wow!" And and they said, oh, "That song, you know, hide and seek," and it goes, um, "Hope you find it in everything." And I thought, oh, I have never thought of that line in that way before. I've always thought of it, hope you find it and everything. Yeah. And he said, hope. you And, I, and that's so much better. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and, and, so that's how, that's how so, and that to me represented the relationship with, with Salt Lake to me. Yeah. 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 When you were first coming out in the 80s, did, did local radio mm. stations or anything like that show you a particular particular attention or amount of love more than you would have gotten somewhere else? Cause this has been going on, oh, as yeah. you said, since the very beginning, what's, what kicked it off? Do you think? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was very lucky that, that, you know, I did get taken up by the, by, by British radio and you know, the BBC radio one, they played me and really jumped on my records and gave me that, you know, launch into the world. And then in America, people picked it up on the East coast and the West coast. And it was just a couple of stations, you know, and it, and it, and, you know, WLIR, you know, long, long Island. And, um, and then as Richard blade was a huge supporter of mine on the West and the K rock. Yeah. You know, that that's, that's where it was. So it was kind of the cool radio stations were picking up on me and, and, you know, I've probably never been regarded as a, you know, quotes, cool artist here in the UK. <laughs> But in America, it was very different, and it's continued to be, you know, quite different. They sort of got me, um, and I think it was a lot to do with my determination to do well in North America because I lived, I lived in Canada um, for three years between the age of nine and fourteen, with a break in the middle, and I, I, I just was so 
taken with North American culture. So for me, it was really important to get out there, do the clubs, you know, meet the radio stations and, and, and do, and do well in, in North America. And I think, because people say, well, you know, a lot of your contemporaries, you know, didn't, didn't do that. Well, yeah, well, we were out there working it, you know, from an, from the early times. And that, yeah. that really, then I, then I had the right music for the time, I think as well. I was fortunate. You sure did. I was curious if there was, if there has been a show or a moment or an experience uh, an interaction, something that took place in Utah that stood out to you. I'll never forget the time this happened, you know, in Utah. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we were playing Park West, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the, and it was such an amazing ven- venue. So you look out from the state, well, for a start, in that big log, log cabin, huge log cabin that you said where they did all the skiing from during the winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was where our dressing rooms were. So you saw everyone arrive for a start, and that was incredible. That's incredibly exciting. For, you don't normally get to do that as an artist. See people coming up the hill with their blankets and their and their you know their their, yeah. their, their bottle water or whatever they're drinking that night, right. and, and 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 arriving. So that was fascinating to me because I get to look at my audience, and then from the stage when you look out, you look out to that amazing mountain going up into the into the hills and then i i, I think that you know they, they used to didn't they used to patrol the perimeters of of, of the venue on horseback oh i think you're right back in the day yes <laughs> think, yeah so so there's that going on but there's also people who maybe couldn't afford to get in or you know it had sold out or something and they were up the hill you know uh-huh. i mean sort of by the trees and I, I named them the tree people and ever since <laughs> and ever since people have come up to me oh, I was one of the tree people <laughs> you know so that that was one that was just um you know amazing amazing yeah. moment for me yeah know? the first time I saw you was at I, I think it was at Park hill park west what was it called back then anyway it was on the dream into action tour and uh yeah. I was I think 11 or 12 years old, went with my cousins. I, that was the first time I saw you. So interesting. Okay. I might throw in another Utah question here eventually, but for now, I want to talk about dialogue and the run that you've been on lately, because between engage transform and now dialogue, which all seem to be of a piece. And I'm curious what the connective tissue is that you see between yeah. those three albums. You yes, see well, more vi- kind of vital than ever. Or energized yeah. by something yeah. than ever. Yeah, yeah. Well, I th- well, what, uh, there, there is another one coming after this called Global Citizen. So, oh, really? So all, all, yeah. So um, that's going to be an electronic album. I've decided now as well. Cool. And so, what I wanted to do was to set myself, well, make a determination that I would do four albums in the next sort of ten years because, you know, I don't. I mean, you get to a point in your career where you know, is it really, you know. Sh- really you know people want to hear the old stuff do they want to hear new stuff and you you have a crisis of confidence about whether you should do new work at all um so i thought the way to get around this i'll set myself a determination of a of of four albums that were all linked together so the theme was engage right so don't be a bystander be involved you know if you if we just watch from the sidelines nothing will change and nothing will will move so that's start and then transform if you want to change the world first of all you have to change yourself and change one's attitude to the world you know i apply all this to myself of course and then dialogue is how we uniquely communicate as human beings you know we're the we're the only beings we know that can that can do that we can talk we can get to know each other we can exchange ideas and even if we don't agree we can still find common humanity uh, between us harder than ever right now to do that isn't it absolutely is vital now and and then global citizen is then the culmination of all those things where you can really contribute to the world you live in realizing that everything's connected and that we are responsible collectively for the whole thing you know not just our country not just our town but actually globally so i thought if i give myself this massive Mm-hmm. you know target and determination that i it will really uh get me motivated and it's really worked for me 
Good. So, um, yeah. Good. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about some of the songs on all these albums that I really like. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, mm -hmm. I Believe in You off the new one. so funky yeah. and it sounds almost as yeah. if like you brought Nile Rogers on there or something like that how did <laughs> it's because the funk is so strong <laughs> tell me about I believe in you yeah yeah I I, I really love uh funk music and I was I was listening to a lot of earth wind and fire and a lot of those you know I, I, I just can't get enough of it but I know that it's not exactly what my, what my <laughs> but, I mean as funky as I've got before I suppose things can only get better but right. I just love it so I wanted to have a couple of tracks that were like that and because I'd been listening to so much of it and I thought oh this really you know wrote you know yeah that's my um and yeah so so and then and then my friend Robin Bolt who's in my band he's always been my guitarist he gave me this a sample CD that he'd been working with with his friend of his guitar playing but but like sort of little phrases hmm. at different tempos and so they they gave it to me as a present and I thought and I started going through it and of course I know Robin so well and I he's played with me for 20 years or something it, even those little phrases just sound like Robin, Robin so I started to chop those up and use those as the as the funk guitar element in in I believe in you and um, yeah, I love yeah. it. I love it. And then I wanted to ask you about transform. You work with BT yeah. on a lot of that, and I yeah. love BT. I, his movement and still life album is still tops for me. How did working? How did you yeah. two come together? I mean, it makes perfect sense for you two to come together. How did you yeah. actually do it and write songs together? Well, well, I I saw him as uh, as an absolute electronic pioneer of his generation Definitely. and i don't think there's a doubt that he has he has affected so much of electronic dance music and the way people make records including myself um, and robbie who you know co-produces with me so um, and it was robbie who, who who turned me on to him i thought this guy's amazing so we heard that he was doing a concert in miami we were on tour in america we thought let's go let's fly down to the show and see him because he was using an orchestra and doing this incredible thing like he does. He always does a very ambitious thing. So we went and we thought we loved it and we got to meet him afterwards. And actually during the show, he he said, oh, there's somebody in the, in the <laughs> this is really embarrassing for me, but, but he said, there's somebody in the, um, in the audience uh, tonight who I went to a concert when I was 14 and it changed my no way my life you know what i mean yeah and um and 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 you know he said you know that was he's kind of referring he was referring to me so yeah. i was very embarrassed but i was very touched at the same time so we met and then said look we have to do something together and so we did that you know tracks on transform yeah. and then also he has been involved with dialogue as well with, oh. with um writing uh so uh, be the hero and Excellent. celebrate oh Both good element yeah great 
He's great. I saw him also in Salt Lake City at a small club one night when I was in college. It was one of the sweatiest shows I've ever been to because it was late at night and it was in this small club and everyone, of course, is going nuts and he knows how to work a crowd. And we are all just pogoing and dancing our brains out. It was so much fun. I love him. Okay. And then lastly, on Engage, you have this song, Five Pianos. And uh, it's such an interesting work piece of music mm. and i want it reminded me of something that somebody might have dreamt up i had a dream one mm. night and it it was actually it has to be five pianos like that last note mm. on uh day mm. in the life by the beatles or something mm-hmm. what was the how did you come up with five pianos oh god i'll tell you i've got a real story about this oh good um, i went i went i'm a big fan of steve reich's music oh he's the best. he was and he was doing a concert in London at the Royal Festival Hall, and he was doing some music inspired by Radiohead and some other pieces. And I went with my great friend Chris Hughes, who produced mm-hmm. two of my records and produced Tears for Fears. It's a He's great been on here life. before too. We talked about you as well. <laughs> <laughs> I drove. I drove, but we're, we're both. He turned me on to Steve Wright, so we we, we were both, um, you know, big fans. So. With, but with these new pieces, I didn't feel that the orchestra that 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 was playing it really. And I feel that if you play right, you've got to be you've got to train your whole life to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's not like normal classical music, and I was kind of disappointed with their delivery of it. Although I could hear the composition and I loved the composition underneath, so I was a little bit annoyed. So I came home <laughs> into the studio and literally wrote five pianos in. In, it was like half an hour. five different melodies that overlapped each other and thought, but it was like, you know, sometimes anger can really take you to a good place. (laughs) If you you harness it properly, you know, it wasn't like I came home and, it wasn't like I came home and smashed the piano up, you know, I I came home and and wrote this piece that was my sort of commentary. You know, I'm grateful to them. You know, they made me do that. (laughs) I'll show them. I'll show them how Steve Reich is done. Let me do it. <laughs> That's great. That is great. No, I don't. No, I would never. I would never say that. I'm, I know. I know. I'm just playing with it. His, you know, yes. But it, it's my. It's my sort of humble, you know, interpretation yeah. of that genre. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, good. You. Um. You're coming through Denver on my birthday. You're going to be here on June 29th, and so I'm. I'm. Uh, my gift to myself yeah. is going to be going to see you and Midge in concert that oh, night. Correct. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. In fact, I wanted to throw it out. I uh, We have some Patreon supporters, and I let them know who I'm interviewing, and they can submit questions if they want. One of them, John Cooney, yeah. was mm. he, mm. like me, has seen you more mm. than anyone. He originally mm. saw you and Midge back in 1989, and he wondered what mm. is the nature of your relationship? Have you guys been friends since the very oh. beginning? What is it? Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. Uh, I have very few uh, friends, you know, artist friends uh, that I can count them on, on one hand. And when I say that, it's like people, you, you know, they've been to your house, you've been to theirs, you've hung out with their families and all that. Yeah. And Midge is, Midge is one of those. And I have always found him to be like, well, you know, apart from, from a music legend, 
going back way beyond, you know, Ultravox, you know, I mean, he, he is, he's a total legend and he's a very humble man yes. and a very bright and clever man as well. And uh, he's just such a, a wonderful person to be with because he's the funniest person, one of the funniest people I know. And he's, um, he's just a great human being. And so to, for him to accept coming out with me was, was really, really big moment for me. And I was, um, I'm so happy that he is. I mean, yeah. he's, he's doing it. Yeah. Because I mean, obviously here in the UK, that would never happen. I mean, he, you know, I'd be supporting him probably, you know what I mean? It's like, we don't, we don't, it's, but those shows are not about that. It's about, it's to me, it's always about, you know, we're, we're doing this together and, yeah. and that's the way I feel. I never feel anything else. Good. I love him too. He was on here last year, I think as well. And one of the times I saw you was with him in one of those 80s shows there where it was you guys and Tom Bailey and China crisis. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just loved him. And uh, yeah. so I'm glad yeah. it's a perfect double bill. The two of you. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you, one of my other supporters, Matthew Quinlan, brought up a really interesting question. He was talking about when you were playing Live Aid, and right before you went on, I believe Phil Collins told you to be careful because there's a bum note on the piano. Yeah. And yeah. Well, he's well, wondering what that yeah. what that must feel like when you're about to perform to that many people and you have to mentally think, okay, I got to play around this bum, bum note. Yeah. Well, well, he said he said there's some sticky notes so oh. in other words they they don't respond quite correctly and i mean and i used the whole length of the keyboard <laughs> you did yes <laughs> you know my class training you know. so um yeah so I, you know it just made me like 10 times more nervous than than i already was <laughs> i mean i would have loved to have uh, in my uh, you know my 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 apple watch on uh. <laughs> in those <laughs> days where it, to see what the BBM would do, <laughs> because, because it was it was going through the roof, and then that sort of increased another, you know. <laughs> yes, but, but it was fun. I, I did take as far as I I made sure that I, you know, gave extra weight to those those lower notes, and um, okay. yeah, it worked out fine. Yeah. Why Why did you decide to perform on a piano? Could you have come out like with a guitar or something like that? Or was that just the easiest thing to do? Because yeah. um, it, it, we were touring in, um, in the States at the time, the whole band was over on the West Coast. and I, I, But I thought it was most appropriate for me to play in, in, in the UK. Mm. So really, I couldn't have got, we couldn't have got the whole band over. And, you know, we were, it was just, and not feasible yeah so um i just came with the aphrodisiac my my, my backing singers at the time so great. who were who were who were amazing and i thought well this will give them all a shock won't it you know me playing the piano they think that i just press buttons and twiddle knobs well and it captured the moment i mean the gravitas of you playing that piano so beautifully for a cause like that it's moment yeah. and it, you know it's it brings the moment think, it heightens it I think, even more yeah and i think you know the choice of that song was very special to me because because it is so meaningful to me you know hope you find it and everything it's yeah. a very hopeful song you know uh, it's a spiritual song to me and yes. i've always feel, feel that and you know the, when the audience joined in the chorus it was it was it was just pure magic mm -hmm. um and something you'll never forget and i think it's interesting when your heart rate is that high and, and the that, and you've got that much adrenaline pumping around you it locks those memories in to your brain forever <laughs> i believe it i believe <laughs> so it i could i could just i could just r roll it back anytime you know relive it anytime because yeah it's great yeah <laughs> yeah it's embedded forever um okay one more uh sugar mouse i don't know who sugar mouse is but i think that's a great name he asked specifically well he tells a whole story about how meaningful several of the songs on one to one yeah. are to him specifically yeah. a little bit of snow please don't throw you
still yeah. brings him to tears. And I was curious. I have yeah. some questions about one to one too. But tell us about the story <laughs> of that song. Yeah, well, I mean, I was I was thinking about people I knew who who got addicted to, you know, bad things. And the snow reference obviously is um and I was saying, you know, what I was saying is you know, please, you know, please don't waste your life on this, you know, and, and please get through this because we need you. Everybody's important. You know, think of it like that. You know, um, don't throw don't throw your life away in this way. And so, but also, it, you know, more broadly than that, you know, snow can be like a, a sort of, a, you know, a freezing element that you, that, and, and, a, and an obstacle that you, that you have to overcome. Don't let that you know um put you off either it, it, it it'll just make you stronger and, and you'll be fine but yeah so but it is yeah i should play that song more when i do the acoustic shows i, I will people ask me to do it and i i i will sometimes That's the songs are they're so they're so uh, emotionally moving to me I, I find them a little difficult to do mm-hmm. and i sort of shy away from it a bit because it I don't know if I'll get through it so very yeah. easily. You know, there's a price to pay when I play it. I get but, it. Um, yeah, but a great question. Yeah. Um, I was curious about that to some degree because <clears throat> I've seen you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, several times, as I said, and sometimes it's the full electronic mm-hmm. experience. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. acoustic. One thing mm-hmm. I've noticed is that for somebody as, as we just talked about your current, you know, four album project mm-hmm. that's really driving you artistically right now, but you mm-hmm. also embrace the past. Like for instance, mm. on um, on Spotify, I was listening to the commentary mm. tracks of a lot of your mm. albums that you've recorded, and so mm. you seem there's a duality there of embracing the past and focusing mm. on the present that yeah. not everyone has. Not everyone's willing to go mm. back there. I wondered if you have always mm. been comfortable embracing your past, or is that something that mm. you maybe had to come around to or warm up to? Mm-hmm. I'm 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 very I'm very comfortable. In, in, in embracing the past because I know that I didn't let anything get through that I wasn't really that I couldn't a hundred percent stand by, mm. and I mean that sort of lyrically and and musically at the time. So I'm totally comfortable about the past work, but also in the context of I'm I'm always doing new work as well, mm. and I'm and also what we do with the live show as you know. We're always updating the past as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one of the beauties of being an electronic musician. You can yeah. you can make that bass drum better. You can make that snare drum more interesting, and you can get the timing better. And you know, we can always like give it a little facelift and uh, make it more of its time now, while still, you know, respecting the past and the sounds of the past. So, yeah. Um, but 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 I think if I wasn't making new music, I wouldn't feel so comfortable i don't want to become you know a museum piece uh, uh, uh just known for one era i know i'll always be known for that era mostly but the people who really follow you as an artist they know that you're always like they're on the march you're, that's right you know you go forward all the time um, yeah. and there's these different bands there's the electronic stuff there's the acoustic stuff i've just done um a piano compositions album that is going to come out sometime next year as well. So, um, yeah. So yeah, you know, like lots of different strands to it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You, especially that hunger is always there. In fact, one of the, Mm -hmm. again, going back to one of the times I saw you, it was a few years ago here in Denver, you were headlining, I think it was retro Futura and, um, you were Mm -hmm. recontextualizing so many of those old songs in a Mm -hmm. powerful modern way, especially if I remember mm-hmm. right, um, you know I love you, don't you? It was mm-hmm. just electrifying because you had updated mm-hmm. it so much to what you were into today. Mm-hmm. You have a way, a, 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 this ability to take those old songs mm-hmm. and make them new and make them exciting again, you know, based on new technology. Yeah, well, I I like I, I do I do like to do that. Uh, but, you know, Robbie, who's always been in my electronic bands, always reminds me that there's certain key sounds that you really should... Keep, you know because they are the signature of that time and i took and he, he reminds me you know to, to do that whereas i would like change everything <laughs> like, i can see that you know, you know just like, unrecognizable to the audience yes yeah i could totally <laughs> see like, that actually his, his, 
isn't really fair. That's not fair. So I, I, I step back from the edge on that. Okay. I wanted to ask specifically about one-to-one. First of all, what is behind you on one-to-one? I bought that tape when it came out. It was clearly sort of you beginning to mature. Is that the silhouette of something hanging on your back? I've never known. Explain the cover of one-to-one to me, please. Oh, right. Okay. Well, uh, um, it's a person, actually, sort of. I figured. Cradling my head. Okay. Um, yes. Okay. And I thought so, but I wasn't yeah. 100% sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's 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 all it is. Yeah. That's, okay. So, I guess somebody behind you, supporting you, and yes. helping you. Yes. One to one. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. Good. I wanted to confirm I was right. Now I'm curious mm. about that album because Arif Martin, who is a mm-hmm. absolute legend, is involved in this album. Yeah. And yeah. I'm wondering how you were. Was your label thinking, Howard? Mm. We are going to put mm. enough money and muscle behind howard <laughs> we're going to get him the best we're going to get him our reef we're going to get him big studios big sounds lots of money was that what was going on to one-to-one and then it was good but it didn't quite perform as well as the other ones and i no. wonder how you look back on that chapter yeah well it was it was there's so many things to say obviously we i, I loved working with rupert and steve and we've done two classic brilliant albums and not only that we'd had a brilliant time doing it and i suppose i was looking at people like scritti politi you know who i was probably my favorite band at the time working with arif and the sound they were getting and the people they were working with and i thought uh, the record company were suggesting this and 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 uh, well what an opportunity for me to do something really really different in retrospect, you could say, well, I, you know, I should have stuck with Root because he's was so brilliant and Steve and and we could have just continued where we come from. But for me, I think being exposed to Arif and all those new ways of working and all those session musicians that we work with in in, in London in London and also in Dublin, that it just opened my horizons more and I had another perspective on producing records which obviously i w- wanted to end up doing myself you know mm-hmm. um to be to be you know be, be the producer and so yeah i mean it was all very exciting mm-hmm. to do and i still when i look back on it i'm not sure rupert would have pushed me in the same direction like you know the the the, the uh, we just got the fair light and we wanted to do all kinds of weird sampling and stuff like that but yeah you know, you can't really look back and go, uh, oh, well, I shouldn't have done that. But, no. you know, because it, 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 it turned out to be a very interesting record. And as time goes on, I find it really interesting Me too. listening back to it. And then, you know, Rupert and Steve remained and still, well, obviously Rupert passed now, but we're lifelong friends. So there was never any, Good. I never had that conversation with Rupert. I wonder, I wonder what he actually thought. I can't um, imagine Rupert you know, Hine would begrudge you the opportunity to work with her. No, you know what no, I mean? I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. He would never have done that. No. Um, he, he, he might have given a wise counsel saying, I mm. think we, you know, it's probably good to, for us to continue a bit longer with it. Cause we're, we're on a roll here, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, I, you know, known is to blame was, was going up the charts in America But you can't reach it. It's the last piece of the puzzle, but you. 
uh, and so that was another you know producer working on my work so and it was very, you know, obviously very successful we um the album you know it was going up the charts which was number one on you know adult radio and so there was a lot of confidence about the decisions on my part so i bet there was you know, i think you've got to be you've got to be bold don't you and try things otherwise you know it's it was the right thing to do yeah, yeah. I was curious. Um, I don't know that I know the full story of why there needed to be another "No One Is to Blame." Did a, did the yeah. label come to you and say, "We believe in this song, but not the version that's on your album," or was that a choice you, know, you made to redo it? Yeah, yeah. I, I really I have to take responsibility for that myself. There it goes. I've got the door up. She's shut it. Oh, it's fine. No. I love the sound effects. It's great. <laughs> Makes it more real. Yeah. So. I was actually always trying to get Rupert to do another version of it. As much, I love the version on Junior to Action and the fans, it's their favourite. I thought that song belonged on the radio. You know, I'm a big radio guy. I grew up listening to the radio. I didn't have records. I couldn't afford records. It was all about the radio. And that's where I wanted to be. Um, and so I thought that song really could could do well at radio with, with this bit of a different, you know, treatment. And we tried a few things at, at Farmyard. And, it, and and they were great, but they didn't really, you know, they, they wouldn't be more, be more radio friendly. And so then there was the suggestion of me working with Phil and Phil loved the song. And I knew Phil because we'd worked together on the Prince's Trust stuff. So there was a, there was a friendship there, you know, that, so he knew what I was like. He knew I wasn't going to be trouble and horrible in the studio and difficult and stuff. Um, so we made that record in, in, in two weekends and um, it's was, it was my like second biggest song ever, yeah. you know? So yeah, it was, it was me. It was me driving that. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, I know, you know, record companies are probably saying things as well, but I, I really did believe, Good. you know, I went into, I went into Elektra Records and, and, and played the song at the piano and, 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 and said to the, you know, the head of the company, I think this could be a really big song. Um, on the radio, and 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 he said, I think it's a B side. <laughs> really? <laughs> but I, so I, yeah. So he said that. So I, that you know, when people say things like that, it makes you even more determined, doesn't mm -hmm. it? You know, to yeah. not prove them wrong, but to stick with your with your belief. You know. I, I want to ask something else though. When I I spoke with Stephen Taylor, and of course mm -hmm. we talked yeah. about you, and we yeah. talk about just your eternal optimism. And I was wondering, I wanted to get a feel for him if when he was working with you in the mid nineties on albums like people and uh, angels and lovers, when, you know, you're kind of, the time has passed, you've gone independent. You're not getting played on the radio quite like you used to. Are you still feeling that same sense of optimism and like, uh, you know, still believing in what you're doing just as much as, as always, or are you feeling a little, a little down, a little Worry that things aren't where they used to be. Um, well, well, certainly when I'd done my five albums for with the contract for for Warner Brothers, and they didn't want to renew, uh, I definitely had a crisis okay. of confidence. Then I thought, oh well, this is it for me. Um, I'm toast now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I haven't got a, a major label anymore. 
Um, and it was six weeks, I think, that I, I, was, I was pretty, yeah, I was devastated, I have to say. But I did recover. I thought, actually, you know what? This could be the best thing that's happened to me. I could form, form my own label, book my own tours, just really become an independent artist. And it was the time when the internet was just coming up. We could contact the fans ourselves and really, you know, be a sort of beacon for other artists in the same position that you can still keep going and you can have it all um, under your, I say control, but, you know, under uh, under your direction. And um, so, yeah, so I never looked back from that moment. But that, but that doesn't mean that there weren't times when I, when I felt, is this all worth it? You know, I'm... I'm I'm making these records that I feel are really great, but I know they're not going to get played on the radio anymore. And you go, you just get over it, and you go, I'm making this this these records for the fans who are sticking with me through thick and thin. They don't care if I'm on the radio or not. They don't care if I'm um, you know in in celebrity magazines. They there's and I I I just got you know felt really that I was making records. And I still do that. I'm making records for them. Um, and I'm not trying to compete with anyone else. You know, it's such a freeing thing. Okay. Um, obviously, I can do that with the luxury of having had the success of the past. I mean, I do understand that that's a very fortunate position to be in. Um, but it can still it can still get to you if you don't if you don't watch it. But you know, I spend my life fighting the negative side of myself. Yeah. That's why I decided to write positive songs. It's yeah. not that I don't know the dark side mm-hmm. <laughs> you know i do i know it well uh, but i know i want to overcome it and transform it and that's what the songs are about it's interesting you say that i read i saw or read that or heard that somewhere getting ready to talk to you and <clears throat> it reminds me of that story of the one you feed you know that we've both got wolves yeah. uh, are you going to feed the wolf yeah. or are you going to um anyway and yeah. make it grow? Yes. and i think about you and i think does he really because he's so He's such a beacon of light. Do you, I, uh, it shocks me to hear that you are aware of, well, I guess you of all people would know, but just that you have this dark side and you're aware of it. And that's why you have to overcome it and work so hard to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just, you know, believe that we all, um, have positive and negative equal power in us and we have to win that battle on a daily basis sometimes we don't win um and and that's fine but then there's another day tomorrow where you can so and that's what i that's what i want to put in that's what i want people to say to me you know through art Mm -hmm. i'm not saying that everybody should i mean please don't get that i mean everyone's got to do what they've got to do but for me it's about that it's about making that making songs so that if there's a time when you're just having such a bad time and it's really it's not going well. And you think, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to get around this? And you hear a song that lifts your spirits and then you're, you're over that hump and you're, you know, looking at the great, you know, vista beyond the mountain, you know, and, and, and that's what, that's, that's where I think of it now. Wow. So inspiring. Mm. All right. I know we're mm. coming up on time, so I'm going to squeeze in a couple more if that's okay. Mm. One thing I wanted yeah, to sure. ask you about, I, I'm, I've always been really, um, I thought the transition from the Revolution of the Heart album, which is a real mm. return to form for me with of you with mm. embracing the synthesizers again and making and updating your sound, and then to go into Ordinary Heroes, completely yeah. scaled back in that beautiful song, Soon You'll Go.
Feel, do you ever try something, feel as if it didn't work, whether it's your own sense of whether something works or whether it's the audience telling you we didn't like this album as much as something else? Yeah. Do you ever feel that and decide, okay, I won't try that again? Or Because you seem like such an independent thinker that you would do whatever you yeah. felt like doing and make it making yeah. it your own. I wonder how, if criticism ever works its way into your thought process. No. No, that's a great, that's a great question. I, and, and no, I, I do. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, as an artist, you have to satisfy all, all, all the things that you want to do. And if you don't, you, you become unhappy and, and boxed in. Mm -hmm. So I, and I think that, you know, with an album like Ordinary Heroes, I wanted to, like you said, strip it right back and just, mm -hmm. just concentrate on arrangements mm -hmm. So there's only there's five instruments and you stick to that. You don't have an arsenal of synths going mad. <laughs> you know, it's really down to like purest songwriting and arrangement things. And of course, when you do an album like that, maybe you know you don't take everybody with you, but what you learn from doing it, then you bring to the stuff that they really like, like you know that they may really like, like the big synth stuff and. Because there's always so much to learn working with the string quartet and working with them with minimal arrangement ideas, you know, makes you, you know, because great records don't have much going on in them, really. They just have some very strong ideas that, that have space, you know, and those sort of things, making records like that really teach you things like that. Yeah. It's, um, it's beautiful. And your single-mindedness about your own career has always been so inspiring. I have one last question about Buddhism. I know what it means to you. And I've talked about it with Duncan on here before too. Mm. I'm, I mm. don't know much about it other than I know that it's mm. what drives you and I respect and love you. Is mm. Buddhism, can you be a Buddhist and a Christian or a Buddhist and an atheist? Yeah. Or is it, is it more of a life yeah. philosophy or is it more of a spiritual practice? I think it's all of those things. I think you can, I mean, it's definitely about embracing all, you know, all views and things. And I bet primarily for me, it's, it's, I believe in you, you know, mm -hmm. I believe in the amazing uniqueness and potential of every single person, no matter what they may look like now and, and how they may be, behaving in in this moment mm -hmm. to still believe that each person has unlimited potential to do incredible things it's hard it's hard to keep you know you have to work on that constantly and you have to be um when everyone you meet you know not making assumptions at all if they're having a bad time if they're behaving badly whatever to still have that belief to me that's the core of buddhism and that's what i love about it so much and that's why it's a life's work because to get good at doing that you have to work at it on yourself you have to work on yourself to really respect others and really you know um cherish um you know you know no matter what how do you know what people are going through you know you don't know the circumstances of their life and what's happened to them so you have to give everyone a big you know lot, a lot of leeway and, and, and as difficult as it is to do that, I think it's really worth it because, you know, you can see the potential in yourself then, you know. Yeah, it's true. It's beautiful. Well, Howard, I hate to let you go, but that's, uh, those are the rules. I, if you can't tell, I have invested 40 years of my life in loving you so much. And thank you for being the person that you are. It's changed a lot of our lives. Well, John, that's so kind of you to say that. But you know, it's all about you, though. You know, you've done that. You, you've got, you've got the benefit because you're amazing. Thank you. All right, there you have it, the great Howard Jones. I hope that was worth the wait. It wasn't, like I said, it wasn't quite as long. I could go forever and ever and ever with Howard Jones because I love him so much. But I'm just so glad we got this done. It took forever, but it's done now. 
And the concert tour, which I know a lot of you saw, which with Midjur, I got to see it. I saw a lot of your pictures from the shows that you went to. It was so great. And as I said before, Dialogue comes out this next week. And if you aren't familiar with the last couple of albums, like Engage and Transform, you should, because they're all really great. And they're total return to form of his, of the very electric synthesizer-based sound that he's so good at. I want to close it out here with The Prisoner. This is another fantastic Howard song that just doesn't get caught, you know, discussed often enough. And it's off the Cross That Line album. And so between all, between Lift Me Up and The Prisoner, I think we touched on at least one song from just about every album in his collection. I think we did anyway. I've always found the one-to-one -one album really interesting. What was, you know, how did he feel about it? How did he get Arif Martin involved? Anyway, thank you, Howard, for talking with me. And please check out Dialogue. Now, next week, uh, we go back to another producer. It's not one of the seven Stevens, but it's just as great. So that, I know you guys love the producer episodes because you tell me every time they come out. So that's what's coming up next week. Huge thanks, as always, to Yana Marimakiewicz, my right-hand man, for everything. I'm so glad we get to do this together, buddy. Uh, you guys can like our Facebook page. You can send us, send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. And we should have another book club episode coming out this week. If you aren't aware, the book club episode that came out this past weekend, uh, I'm giving away a copy of that book. You have to be a Patreon supporter to get involved. But if you are, I just posted a sort of a trivia question today. If you want to answer that, it'll put you in the running to win, to randomly win the book. And I'll announce on Sunday who does it. Okay? Thanks, everybody. We love you.